Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Welcome to Life West Church. Hey, one more thing I do want to mention is the dwelling place. The prayer group is happening tomorrow night at Alice. So if you'd like to join them and getting together and pray. So it'll be the 18th at 7 o'clock. And if you haven't noticed Alas, we say Alas a lot because this is a school. <laughs> and so they just, they're, they're super gracious and we have honestly a wonderful relationship with the school. But also, and one of the wonderful things that came out of COVID and us having to shift things around and move and try to figure stuff out was we have a great relationship with Alas, a Spanish church. It's Alas de Aguila, a Spanish church over on 68th. And so, 64th, excuse me. And so, that's where the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders meet from 6 to 8. You ever notice how easy that is? 6 to 8 for 6 to 8. Anyways, nobody else is like, they they were thinking about that. I don't know. I think it's really cool. Maybe it was my idea. Probably not. But anyways, um, but we've got an awesome relationship with them over there. So, that's one of the just just huge blessings that we have through them is they open their building up and they're like, please come. And I love this about them is they just said, the building's here to build the kingdom of God. They're like, please come and use it, and let's just work it out. We'll do whatever we need to, but please just come and use it. So a lot of the stuff that you see happen midweek, if you're wondering, where is it? It's probably at Alas, and you can just go to the website to confirm, but it's probably at Alas, and that's kind of what we call it, but it's Alas de Aguila on 64th. But hey, I'm really glad that you guys are here this morning, and we're in this series Sower seed and soil, looking at one of the parables that Jesus told. Jesus told stories, so many stories. And and a parable is simply a story with a meaning. And one of them is this right here that we find. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 13. We'll jump a few places, but Matthew 13 is really where you could just kind of park it. And this is Jesus, and he's talking, and he says this. He says, he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was sowing, some fell along a path, the birds came and devoured it. Some fell on gro- rocky ground where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow. But when the sun rose, the seedlings were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the seedlings. Still other seed fell on good soil and it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty fold. Now, he's not talking about planting seeds. He's not talking to farmers. It's a parable, and there's another meaning. And we're going to get to that in a minute because he, he, after he does this with everybody, he gets with his small group, he gets with his 12 disciples, which he had the 12, and then he also had the three, Peter, James, and John. So he had a small group, but then he had his close group within that group. And I hope you have a group within your group, that you've got people that you are doing that. I don't know if you do that, know this or not, but we do, and we promote so much. That's why you hear me talk like every single time I get a chance about small groups. It's because we need those groups. You need a big group, you need a small group, and you need that tight group, that group of maybe just one, two, or three that you're like, yep, I can share with, I can talk with, I can call them up. But Jesus had this, and he explained the parable to them. And he's like, okay, this is what this is about. And we find that in verse 19 that it starts. He says, anyone who hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. That's why we have to understand it. We don't just hear the word, but we have to meditate on it. We go home and we figure out 
How do I apply this to my life? What is it that I do? And then he goes on, and it says, when persecution or trouble comes. Well, we know that trouble's going to come, that Jesus didn't come to take all of your trouble away. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. That's so encouraging. But you will have trouble. And God does not lead, by the way, through the path of least resistance. Oh, man, does that drive me nuts when I see Christians like, well, God just led me. It was just so easy. This is God's leading. I'm like, but it goes against his word, so it's not. God does not lead us through the path of least resistance. He calls us to do some hard things. He really does. He calls us to that. And then we talked a bit, but here's the thing that we realize in those things, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work for the good of those that love and serve him. The, yeah, there's trouble, but when we do it God's way, we get the best results. We get the best results. We talked about persecution. The persecution for the word's sake, it's coming, it's there, but we don't, we're not here to fight against the world, we fight for the world. And the persecution might be here, but it's just a part of it. If they hated Jesus who did it perfectly, and you and I don't do it right, they're not going to love us. But we are in the world, but not of it. We're in the world. And then we talked about, really last week we got to the thorny ground. It said, the seed that fell among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's the worries of this life. And it doesn't, it didn't say the sin, it just said the worries of this life, that there are some things that just get in the way. There's things that get in the way. And it's not that stuff is bad. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world to sell everything and to live off of, no. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is such, so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy things, but what we need to make sure that we're doing is this. Command those who are good to be rich in good deeds. God wants you rich in good deeds. We're to use what we have, what we've been given, what we've been entrusted with, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up for themselves, we already talked a little bit about this, treasures, they lay up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of life, which is truly life. It says be willing to share. Now, one of the ways when it, when it comes to God's word, just remember, the last part of the review here is God's word is the seed being sown, but there's things that choke it out. Now, none of this is like super mind-blowing. It's, it's kind of simple. I, I don't think there's any of us in here that are like, oh, seeds on paths don't grow. Oh, my goodness. I should really write that one down. Like, oh, that's why my garden never grew. Like, none of us. But yet at the same time, it's some of the most simple things that we forget. It really is. And, and what, what can often happen is we can have aspirational values in our life that we don't end up actually living them. Here's what I mean. An aspirational value is something that you, you protest to, you speak, you declare, but then when the rubber hits the road, you're like, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, I, I had this recently. Um, 
We've been, we've been looking at houses. Beck and I have been looking at houses for a long time. Um, I bought a house like 20 years ago and was like, I'm going to flip it. And then I didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, I ended up getting some roommates and they moved in. And then um, I met Becca and then she moved in. And I was like, hey, let's move. And she's like, no, I'm going to live and die here. And I'm like, oh, um, I like the house. I don't really care about the house. And I'm like, oh, the neighbor, it's just, it's just too small for me. And she's like, why'd you buy it? I love it. And I'm like, why can't you be just less content? No, I'm kidding. Like, it's, it's the best problem ever. But we've, we've spent a very long time looking at houses and, and house plans. And, and 11 years ago, we came really close. Uh, we, we, we actually put uh, an offer on some property and they accepted it and then it kind of fell apart. And so we were finalizing some plans and some stuff. And we'd always looked at these plans and we're like, man, especially we got five kids. We live, um, in a, I, I say small house, small house compared to some of the houses and other parts of the world like, that's huge. I don't know why they use that voice, but they do whenever, whenever they say <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but one of the things that we've, both of us have looked at houses and, and ones that we've walked through, we've been like, oh, you know what this needs? It needs a pocket door. And we're just like, pocket doors, they just save space. And why aren't there more pocket doors? And, and we'd walk through houses, and Beck's like, well, I'd move that wall. And I'm like, pocket door? She's like, yes, let's put in a pocket door right there. And, and we would do this. And Well, this week, I was, I was putting up a wall. And it came time to, put, to, like, to lay out where I was going to do the closet door. And I'm like, pocket door. Yeah, finally, I got, I'm going to put a pocket door in. And then I start looking, and I'm like, oh. Well, pocket doors are more expensive. And they're more work. And I'm like, well, I love pocket doors, but do I want to do a pocket door? And I'm like, oh, it would save some space, but it costs more money. And I'm Dutch. I don't know if you know this about me, but I am Dutch. And I'm just like, mm, it's going to cost more money. I'm like, but it'll save space. And it's like, is, is it an, are pocket doors a value that I just like to talk about when I'm walking through other people's houses and looking at plans when I can just be like, well, yeah, I'd change that. Or... Now that I have to pay for one and do the extra work to install it, do I still think, do I still, do I stand by, what do I do? How many of you want to know what I actually did? Anybody? No, not many. Okay, well, I'll skip that part of it. Let's just keep going. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's nothing to do with spiritual anything, so let's just skip it. So, but that's what it is. It's an aspirational value, and what happens is so often we end up with values that we attest to, things that we say, but then when the rubber hits the road, and that's really what this is meant to show us as we're going through this, is to not just be an aspiring Christian, but to be a Christian that lives it out every day. He's like, look, these are the things that stop you these are the common things that get in the way from us as believers living out our Christian life the way that we are meant to. It's what we're meant to do. We're supposed to take the things that we have and leverage them for the kingdom of God, realizing things like this. Matthew says this, Matthew 13, 34, the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves' instructions about the work that they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must watch, for you do not know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, at daybreak, you don't know. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. He's like, he's coming back. 
We're supposed to have this mentality. He's coming back. That you and I, the things that we have, we're just kind of watching over them because it's all God's. Psalms 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Your name might be on it. You might have a title, but it's not yours. And realize this, when you die, if you didn't do it well, your kids will fight over it. But when you die, that title, that thing, whatever his name is on it, it'll change. Somebody else will have it. That house you built, that thing you dreamed about, they'll move in. They'll knock down walls, probably put some pocket doors in. Who knows? (laughs) But they'll change it. It'll get switched around, passed around, knocked down, rebuilt. But we're to live realizing that and to leverage what we've been given to build the kingdom of God. Leverage what it is that we've had because we're stewards. Now, steward isn't a word that you hear all the time, but that's what you and I are. We're stewards. We're not really owners. We're stewards because if it's all God's, then I'm really not the owner. I'm the steward, which means I'm spending somebody else's money which I enjoy doing. I don't know if you ever got a chance to do that very much, but I can spend somebody else's money. I'm, I'm really good at spending other people's money. My dad uh, came to me a while back. We were into um, maple syrup. We make maple syrup, and, and my, my folks have a bunch of maple trees behind their house. Now, there's a stream between the house and all of the trees, and the way to get to it is across the stream. So it gets kind of interesting, but I would go out there and we'd, we'd tap the trees and then I would have to swing across on a rope across the creek with buckets of sap. And I don't know if you know this about maple syrup, but for every one gallon of maple syrup, it takes about 40 gallons of maple sap to make one gallon of syrup. So we'd tap all these trees and then I'd put all the maple syrup in buckets and I'd swing the buckets across the creek with me and I'd swing across and I'd get to the other side or try to get one of the kids to do it with me. It was this whole ordeal trying to do it. And so I dreamed about like, okay, like what would it be like to put a bridge up or how could I, like that would just be amazing. And I started doing maple syrup on my grill just for fun. So I did it on the grill the first year and like most things, it just, just kind of grows. So I did it on the grill and and then I got a fancy pan for my grill, and then I went and took like a, a camping burner with these huge burners, and I took that and welded some stuff underneath it to keep the heat in, and then got a, a nicer pan to go on top of that, and I was like, well, what could I do? And I, I had looked and had some ideas about what I could do, like, well, if I was to spend a little more money, like, what would I do with this? And, 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 my, and then my dad, my dad got some property, and he's like, there's maple trees up here, I, I want to tap some syrup up here. And I'm like, do it. And he goes, well, what do I need? And what did I tell you I'm really good at? I'm going to spend on other people's money. And I'm like, well, what are you thinking? And he's like, well, well, tell me what I need. And I'm like, well, give me a budget. And he goes, just whatever I need. And I'm like, okay. I go, okay, absolutely. Like, what do you want? And I said, well, how many trees do you want to tap? And so he kind of goes all through this. He's like, I just, I, just tell me what I need. And I go, fine, I will. And I'm kind of like, I don't want to spend too much money. He goes, just do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I jump online. I'm like, you need this, 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 and this, and you should probably get this. And he goes, now, how does that work? I'm like, well, it's wood-fired. And he goes, I don't want to chop wood. And I'm like, okay. He goes, do they make any that are gas-powered? And I'm like, well, we can figure it out. I'm like, I bet they do. And I'm like, for enough money, you can do anything. He goes, find one gas-powered. I'm like, okay. I'm like, where was this dad when I was growing up? But anyways, 
So I'm looking along, and we find this. So finally, I get them a gas-powered, super crazy efficient evaporator thing we put in there. He has to get a bigger gas line brought in from the road to the house. The guy comes and goes, this meter's too big for your house. It'll just pull the wall down. So he had to put in some supports to, just to support the gas meter. He's got a three-and-a-half-inch gas line running to his sugar shack outside. <laughs> And he's like, you like spending money? I'm like, no, it's yours. But I just, I shot the moon. I'm like, this is great. You can have the civil version of it. We'll reverse osmosis. Some of you, nobody even knows what that is. We'll do it all up. And we do it. And he's like, man, this is great. And then he got the bill. He goes, this is expensive. And I'm like, and that's what you said you wanted. My mom's like, we love it. (laughs) It's a riot. She's like, thank you. I can spend somebody else's money. But understand that if, if God owns it all, we're always spending somebody else's money. I'm always spending somebody else's money. I get to do it. Um, we, we recently, I did finally, and you're not going to believe this when I say it, but I, I'm, 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 I mean it, we did I got Becca to move. Like, we sold our house. I was like, is it ever going to happen? I, there is a God in heaven. What, she moved. Um, it's been years I've been trying to get her to sell. So we, we did this, and I'm like, okay. So we finally sold the house. I bought the thing 20 years ago. And I don't know if you know this, but the housing market is stupid right now. It's just, it's just stupid. So we did really well off the house. And, and, and so I'm looking at this, and I'm getting ready. I'm like, I get to tithe. And I'm like, I love I, I get to. I'm like, I get to. To wait for the money to show up and you, know, you, you cash some of those big checks, you put them in the bank and they don't show up right away. And I'm like, uh-huh. it's got to get there because I want to give my tithe. And so I log in the next day, I'm like, it's still not there. I'm like, come on, guys, get it straight because I get to. And it's not my money anyways. Like, it's all God's. Everything that you're spending, we, I, th- I think a few of us could get a little bit better at spending other people's money because it's all God's. We're stewards, which means we need to handle it wisely. But he says, it's like a servant who he said, hey, look, this is what you've got, but realize this, I'm going to come back. He's going to come back. And we're not meant We're not meant to be sitting around waiting for the trumpet and be like, okay, now I'll give it all away real quick before I hear the the, the third trumpet go or however many you think it's supposed to be. But we're meant to live like, okay, God, how can I sustain to caretake, to steward what you've given me in such a way that I'm ready for your return anytime? Anytime. What can I do with it that should be on our hearts and on our minds as it's coming in and going out, as we're planning for the future, as we're looking at what we have today, the things that we have. Have a nice car, please. He gives us everything for our enjoyment. But use it to take you to the lost and the hurting. Use it and hold it with an open hand. If God says, give it, give it. If he says, sell it, sell it. If he says, this person needs to borrow it, do it. Hold it in an open hand. Have a house. Have a nice house. 
May it be a place of rest for you where you recharge. Host a small group, have people over. Make it a place where people love to be, where you can, the hurting and the lost want to come, where you're praying for people, where you're ministering. Use it. Use what it is that you've been given. That business that you have, run it. But you're a Christian, so run it differently. You do what you say, say what you do, and do it all for the glory of God. It's going to be a little bit different. I was reading a, a book on ethics, and I read this one line and was like, I think I'm done with the whole book. Like, you shouldn't, I mean, anyways. But, but it was this, right towards the beginning of the book. And it was a huge book. And after he said this, I'm like, really, that's all you should have said. He said this, he goes, there's no such thing as business ethics. There's just ethics. Let me say it this way. There's no such thing as, a, as, as church life, business life, and personal life. It's just your Christian life. And it's in everything. We don't set it aside and then step into another role. Well, now that I'm doing this, and this makes the most physical, responsible decision. No. God is meant to lead us in all that we're doing, in every part of it. We give Him every part. So run that business that way. Structure your business so that you can run it that way. That you're like, I'm a believer, so this is what believers do. This is what we do. I heard about a, a businessman when I was in Bible college who recommended some camera gear uh, to a church. He recommended it, and that was part of kind of a little bit of what he did, and he's like, this would be great, and this would be a great vendor. So he recommended it, and then that church went out and invested heavily in it um, to the tune of like $250,000, $300,000. It was a, just, just a big push that they were doing, and they were going to be launching this ministry, and he'd done a lot um, with TV and all that. So they, 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 they invested incredibly heavily in it. And then turns out that equipment was, was bad, and the company that he had recommended was bad and didn't stand by the equipment, and the church was having all kinds of trouble with it. And he heard about it. This is one of my professors in Bible college. And he heard about it. And so he went to him, and he said, I'm so sorry I recommended that. And he goes, I'll buy all the equipment back from you. I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. And he did it. He could, and I was like, how did you do that? Teach me about that too, would you? But he did it. He bought every bit of it back. And he goes, I recommended it. You, you, you made that decision off of what I said. He goes, this is what I believe God is telling me I need to do, so this is what I'm going to do. So he went in and he bought it. Does that stand out to anybody else as not normal? In a world where everything has to be signed, and even then, you can always find a way out. He gave his word and was like, I do what I say, and I say what I do, because the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and that was the only reason he gave. He's like, that's enough for me. That's why I need to do it. Run your business differently. There's not business ethics. There's just ethics. There's not a Christian life and everything else. It's just we're Christ followers, so we do things differently. We do things differently. 
And we also, we look at all of these things and we realize for God's word to be fruitful in our life, we need to have these things in their right place. It's the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries and the distractions of this life that get in the way. But when we keep and we put things in the right perspective, it makes such a difference. Money is a tool, use it as such. That's all it is. It's not a status symbol. It doesn't mean that you've arrived. It's a tool. How are you going to use it? And he talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Remember as a kid, we were on a, on a family vacation. We're in the van. And, and when we took family vacations, we, put a, we had a big Ford van. And my parents would put a bed. We'd take out one of the benches, and they'd put a bed in the back. And so it had stilts like this so we could pack underneath it, and there was this carpeted platform with a little bit of pad on it, and then we'd put all of our sleeping bags on it, and us kids would sleep on the road, and sometimes Dad would, but we'd cruise down the road, and we'd just go to sleep in the back. I don't know if you're supposed to, not to, but that's just what we did. So I'm just telling you, that's just what we did. I'm not advocating something, I'm just telling you what we did, okay? That's what we did. And I remember, it's the middle of the night, and I'm asleep in the back, and it's on, like I'm in the back, and then all of a sudden, um, I feel like I'm hitting the ceiling, like I'm not on the bed anymore. And I'm like, what in the world? And bam, I, I hit the ground. I'm like, ah! And I freak out. I'm like, are we getting an accident? What just happened? And my dad, in the night, in whatever state we were in, got off on an exit because he had to use the bathroom or something and couldn't get back on. He didn't know that it was an off-ramp, but there was no on-ramp. And so we're in the middle of I don't know what state. He's flying around, and we ended up, it was a bridge. And he was driving on the bridge going probably a little too fast and didn't realize there was construction or something. So on the other side of the bridge, they were doing some work. So the concrete went, and then it dropped down about eight inches. And so he just went, whoo, boom. And that's what I woke up to. And so we're off-road, and we're flying around doing this, and I know it was about eight inches because that road also turned into be dead end because of the construction. So then we had to turn around, and we were trying to get back up that eight-inch bump. And my dad's like, oh, we got this. My mom's like, you're not going to be able to do it. He's like, we're fine. We're bumping up over that thing. My mom's like, I think I heard something break. He's like, it's healed in Jesus' name. And off we go. <laughs> Have you ever gotten off at the wrong exit and you're just like, oh, no. Have you ever gotten off at those exits where you can't get back on? You're like, why? Why do they do that? It's like it's a tourist trap. Like, oh, you'll never leave now. But this is what God's word is meant to do for you and I, is that we're supposed to be able to look and to see these things, the deceitfulness of wealth, and not take exits that we can't get back on the road with, to not take exits that take us places that we don't want to go. And one of them is the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth makes promises that it can't keep. I don't know if you know that or not. Oh, but it does. Let me, just, let me just go over a few of them with you. God wants to warn us about it. And he says this in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. He's like, I don't want you taking the wrong exit. I don't want you going where you're not supposed to go. It may look good, but it's not taking you where you want to go. That's what sin does. It costs you more than you want to pay and keeps you longer than you want to stay every time. He's like, but let's avoid that from the beginning. So some promises, we'll see how many I get through, that money makes, but that it cannot keep. Money promises peace. If I just, if I had enough of that, it would be so easy. 
But you know what? It cannot deliver. I don't know if a, a truer statement has ever been said than mo money, mo problems. <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. The junker car you have, we had, we had a, a minivan that we bought after the fun, the fun season was over. We had too many kids for a fun car. And so I was like, we need a minivan. And it's like, it works and it meets our needs and it's cheap. And there's that Dutch thing again. I'm like, this works. Let's do it. So, so we got this minivan. It was burgundy. I don't know why they make minivans burgundy. They just shouldn't. They just shouldn't. There's laws for everything except that. There should be a law. No burgundy minivans. But we had this burgundy minivan. But it was perfect for the season because we had these kids in, we still do. They're still all there. <laughs> we got all these kids. And man, they just, they just destroy vehicles. It's almost like they'd eat them. You're like, what are you doing standing on the car? Like, get down and you can't ride your bike. How'd you get that up there? I don't know if you've ever had that. But so you got to get the kids back down off of it and they're riding and they banged it and they dinged it up. And we had that thing. We rode it into the ground. Parts of it would, would break and get weird. One time I'm, in, I'm sitting at my desk and, and a guy comes in and he goes, hey, did, did you put a lift kit on your minivan? And I'm like, no. Why would anybody do that? And he goes, look at your van. And so I like, step outside and I look at the van. I'm like, are they playing a joke on me? Like, what did they do? But I step outside and sure enough, the back of my van should be about this high. And it's about this high off the ground. And I'm like, what in the world? And so I get out and look at it. And, and it had this like air leveling suspension. So if you put a lot of kids in the back, it would like and eventually like the back would lift up a little bit extra. Well, the sensor arm thing went off. And so it just kept going and raised that bumper up as high as it could go. I'm like, oh my goodness, I think I'm going to break something, but this looks pretty good. I don't know. I mean, it, it really did. So that broke, and then the pump went out, and I was like, well, it's expensive to fix. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with this thing? I'm like, ah, it doesn't really matter. I know what I'll do. So I just put like a tire valve on it, and I'd get my bike pump out, and about twice a week, I'd just pump a little air into the shocks, and it worked perfectly. I'm going to put a trailer on. I'd pump a little extra air in there, and we were, we were good. Who needs the... So we just ran this thing into the ground, right? It, it got to the point, like, if the kids were to hit it, like, dent it, you're like, well, that, that'll increase the resale value. Like, honestly. It would... So finally, we sell this, and I got tired of fixing everything. I'll just tell you right now, Pontiac SV6, those front wheel bearings go out every nine months. Like, this is what they do. Every nine months, it needed a new one. And for the longest time, the, the front wheel bearings had a six-month warranty, but then they went to a one-year warranty, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I just got a new one. I would come in like every six months, just rocking back and forth with those front wheel bearings. Drove me insane. I got tired of fixing this thing. So we sold it. And we had, you know, it's money saved, so we bought a nicer van. I was like, this is great. It's really nice. We'd had that thing a few weeks. And I'm turning, and I can't quite go yet, and so I'm creeping out about to make a right turn, and boom, somebody rear-ends me, and I'm like, I couldn't pay someone to break into my other car. I couldn't pay somebody to wreck my other car. I get the nice new one, and mm, here we go. Here it is, and they just kind of like, oh my goodness. Yeah, and that, but that, that's, that's what happens. You buy something, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get the nice one, but then you get the nice version of it, and now you care about it. Anybody grow up with a chair that they couldn't sit on in their house because it was the nice chair or only adults could sit at it? We did. Like, that's dad's chair. You're not allowed to sit in it. I'm like, well, why? I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Money promises peace, but it doesn't bring peace. 
Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. Because there's two kinds of peace. It says God's peace. It doesn't just say peace. It says God's peace. There's one kind of peace that comes because everything is calm. You drive by the lake and you look at it and it's just glass and you're like, oh, you just want to like wakeboard, like let me do a barefoot. You're ready to get out there because everything is calm. And there's that peace. And then there's God's peace. And God's peace can come in the storm, in spite of the storm, and through the storm. That's a different kind of peace altogether. Real peace, it doesn't come from, I could afford this, and if this goes wrong, I could pay for it, and this. It's knowing where your peace, it's a whole different kind of peace that comes from God. It's God's peace that comes. Money promises peace, but it can't deliver. Money promises security. Well, if I have this much money, if I could just set this aside, or this in retirement, or this goal, then I would be secure. You're not. You're not, because you invest it here, and then prices go up, and they go down. Oh, and I put it in this, and then it goes away. And and you, you can dig a hole in your backyard and fill it with money, and it still won't be safe. We know that right now. Inflation. It's eaten away at every dollar you've got, and we know exactly where it came from. You cannot print. Our government printed $5 trillion. And when they did that, they reached into your pocket, my pocket, your retirement, my retirement, and they reached into the hole in your backyard and devalued every dollar in it. It's not safe. They could do it again tomorrow. It's not safe anywhere. Money money does not give us security. It only comes from God. We're secure because His Word says that He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. It's not just spiritual, like He's given us everything that we need so that we can be spiritual and go to heaven one day. No, He says He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. It's all of it. It comes through and to us, but it comes from Him. Another thing that money promises is money promises happiness. Have you ever bought something new? It's fun. You're like, yes, this is great. Maybe something you've saved up and you've waited for. And there's, it can bring joy for a minute. But it goes away. Because you've got to fill it up with gas or take care of it or update it or do this or that. And you're like, oh, it's, it's fleeting. It's, that, it's fleeting. Can I just tell you this? If you're not happy with what you've got, getting what you want won't make a difference. It won't make a difference. Happiness doesn't come from money. It's something that we choose on the inside. Proverbs 15, 15 says it like this. The despondent every day brings trouble. But for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. They're always happy. They find the good in all of it. They're content where they are. They're content with what they've got. They're content with what will be there tomorrow. They're content with what's left over. They're content with the new. It is a continual feast feast. That's what we're meant to be. That our circumstances aren't what's bringing us joy. But we're rooted, we're grounded in God's Word. We know whose we are, where we're going. 
that everything that we have, it really isn't ours in the first place, but we're looking forward to him returning because he's going to. We're storing up treasures for where we're going. We're using what we have to make a difference for those around us. Our gifts, our talents, we're serving in the church, out of the church, around the church, and everywhere. Everything that we do, we say what we do, we do what we say, and we do it to the glory and for the glory of God. We're turning and pointing people to him every day in every way that we know how. And when a day goes by that we don't, we think, oops, what can I do? Maybe I can change that tomorrow. And we've got people in our life that are helping us, that are building us up and challenging us. Because Jesus is coming back. He says that the seed that goes in the ground, some of it produces a crop, 30 60, a hundredfold. May God's word produce in you a return. May you be fruitful. May you multiply. May you make a difference in the world. Remember this, money can buy a house, but not a home. It can buy a safe, but not peace. It can buy a car, but it can't buy a destiny. It can buy a bed, but it can't give you any sleep. And sure, you can buy a view, but it won't give you vision. Don't fall for the deceitfulness of wealth. Every single one of those things that you're looking for, they're found in him. You were made, designed, gifted, created for today, for a purpose. God put you where you are right now for a purpose. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. We're not just waiting for him to come back. He wants to use you in ways, some that you know and some that you do not. Here's what I know. I know that God's call on your life, it's too big for you to do alone. you've already made Jesus the Lord of your life, then get around some people that are challenging you. If you're the smartest person that you know, you need to make some new friends. If you're the strongest Christian in your group, get in a different group. Or some, if, if you're the Christian that you're challenging everybody else, get around some people that challenge you. Get around some people that have done more, gone farther. Sometimes it's older, not always. Sometimes we just grow old. We don't grow wise. But get around them. Challenge yourself. Because Jesus is coming back. He says, don't let me find you sleeping when I return. Let's be about his business. Building his kingdom. Being fruitful. And making a difference wherever we are. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here and you say, you know what, I haven't even... I don't know Jesus. I haven't made him the Lord of my life. And whether you're in this room, you're watching, you're listening, whatever it is, know this. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God and begin to walk out a relationship with him. It begins, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we can be and we will be saved. 
What does that mean? That means you're forgiven and set free from your past. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, he stood in your place, took your punishment, took my punishment so that we could be free. And we can begin to live, to walk out the life that he's intended for you and for me. You've never made that decision? Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, I just need to come back. I need to be his. I need to be forgiven, set free again. I've been doing my own thing, but today I'm coming back to him. If you're either of those, I'd love the honor of praying with you. So I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up high and in just a minute we're going to pray right in your seat. And when we say amen, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God and we can, we can pray together. And when we leave, you know right where you stand and begin to walk out the relationship, the plan and purpose he has for you. If that's you, get ready. Here we go. We're going to lift that hand up, not halfway, all the way up. Get ready. Online, wherever you are. If you're driving, keep your hands on your wheel. But everybody else, here we go. One, two, three. Right now, shoot it up and say, that's me. Today is my day. I'm giving my life and my heart to him. All right, let's just pray this out loud to those that are lifting their hands wherever they are. But every in this room, pray out loud with me if you would. Say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. From now on, I'm yours. I believe that you came, that you lived sinless, but you died in my place for me. From now on, I'm yours. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.